and it lets you save look here true form life green look welcome to another edition of exploring mind and body as always i'm your host drew tadia You've just tuned in to the best health and wellness show around. We're always working to bring you better content. We're bringing you the best guests, and we have another one coming up today. And we have by far the best fans on the planet. Thank you so much for being here, being a part of our True Form Life community. I say best fans because of the reviews we're getting in all the time. I so much appreciate that. If you want to leave us a review or send us a message, a review on iTunes would be fantastic. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Now, today, we're talking about the stress solution with Dr. Sarah McCauley. Now, I love to talk about stress, and Dr. Sarah McCauley, he's been on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School and chief psychologist of Metro West Medical Center. He's also written a number of other books. Today, we're focusing, again, on the stress solution. Before we get into that, a quick word from MAK Mystic Expressions. Now, this is a Himalayan salt company that specializes in pink salt. Personally, I believe this is a small transition we can all take from moving from white refined salt to pink Himalayan salt. So if you head over to makmystic.com, they have a number of different products and information to help you better understand how pink Himalayan salt can improve your health. That's makmystic.com. As I was saying, we have Dr. Sir McCauley coming on to talk about the stress solution. The subtitle is Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. Now, I absolutely love this interview. Dr. Sir McCauley has so much information. He's been doing this for years. We're going to talk about performance anxiety, why we're material rich and spiritually poor, cognitive behavior therapy, therapy, empathy, and more. There's so much information jam-packed in the show. I can't wait for you to check it out. So sit right there. We got all that coming up. This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. We have Dr. Arthur Siramacoli on air with us today. So thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Siramacoli. Well, thank you, Drew, for inviting me. My pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about the stress solution. Now, I'm super excited about this topic and book because I love to talk about stress. I think we have so many stress issues in today's day and age. I want to ask you about yourself, Dr. Sir McCauley, before we get into the topic of stress so our audience has a better chance to understand who you are. How did you get into stress and what does your background look like getting into what you do now? I've been in clinical practice for over 35 years, Drew. I worked and I was a, a chief psychologist in a hospital for 25 years. I've been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School, and I've always had a holistic approach to helping people. I, I had an alternative medicine center actually within a hospital. It was the first one in Massachusetts some years ago. So my approach has always been to look at a person holistically, comprehensively. We also examine exercise, nutrition, sleep habits, 
and check their cholesterol, blood pressure, and so forth. So I look at a person as a whole to try to understand what's impeding them reaching their potential. So I've been in practice a long time, and recently, why did I write the book on stress? Well, it, the word is used so often in our culture today, and so many, so very many people, healthy people, talk about stress and the pace of our society and not being able to live that balanced life, not being able to maintain exercise, nutrition, not, not getting enough sleep. I mean, basically, we, we work too long, we sleep too little, we love with half a heart, and then we, we wonder why we're stressed and unhappy. So I decided to combine my work in empathy. I wrote a book some years ago called The Power of Empathy, and I decided to combine my work with empathy and cognitive behavioral therapy and, and really address this issue of stress, which evidently has become epidemic in our society right now. What book is this? I know you also have a book on performance addiction. Yes, I have a, a book on performance addiction. Actually, there's a chapter on performance addiction in this book, and the book before that was The Power of Empathy. Right. That was uh, some years ago. Okay. I want to ask you about performance addiction. That's one of the things that, that stuck, stood out to me in this particular book, The Stress Solution. Tell me about what uh, performance addiction is and, and give our, our listeners a chance to understand more about that. Well, performance addiction is the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will secure love and respect. And it's an irrational belief system that is begun early in life through early conditioning, and then it's reinforced by our culture. And performance addicts, uh, unfortunately, have come to believe that achievement is the way to gain love and respect from others. And they're very misguided in that regard because, oh, you're only as good as yesterday's home run from that point of view. An achievement in and of itself is not going to bring you love, strong friendships, and strong relationships. So when people don't feel good enough for who they are, they start to believe that it, if they can become more, if they look better, if they achieve more, if they have more status, we're a very status-oriented society at this point. So when you have hurts early in life that were never resolved, and you're a very capable person, it's very easy to start believing that achievement will bring you what you've always longed for. And many people don't realize what they're longing for is love and respect, connection with other human beings. Now, what's the difference between performance addiction and maybe an overachiever, someone that just wants to improve where they are in life? There's actually two kinds of perfectionists. I believe that one kind is a, an overachiever who really has the ability to achieve and loves what they're doing, and they don't necessarily sacrifice their health. Performance addictions, performance addicts don't necessarily love what they're doing. They're doing it because of their focus on the outcome. They think it's going to bring them esteem, self-worth, and the respect and love of others. So it's a very different, uh, a very different attitude in that regard. They're much more focused on the outcome then they are actually loving the process. So those that may, what would you say, suffer from performance addiction, those that, that have this type of condition, what could they do to have a better understanding of that this is an addiction and there's other ways to achieve? Well, first of all, <laughs> that's where empathy comes in because empathy allows us to understand the truth of the situation and they have to go back in time and uncover some of the hurts they experienced early in life where they came to believe in this mythical idea that performance alone will bring them what they're longing for, bring them the, this kind of self-worth they're longing for. And often it's 
it, ha- it begins in, in people's families, the way they're treated or the way they have come to believe that they can win the love and approval of their parents, the significant others in their lives. So first, you have to go back and sort of uncover how this belief system began and then focus on understanding the truth of what really does bring love and respect in life. And most, most often, having empathy, having compassion for other people, high interpersonal skills, and, and really tend to be the, the characteristics that make us successful personally and professionally, not achievement alone. You know, even the Harvard Business Review not long ago, and I mentioned it in the book, did a study of, of who are the most successful managers and producers in the corporate world, and they concluded that it's the people with the greatest range of empathy. And the people with the greatest range of empathy are able to see beyond the surface in other people and in themselves and form deeper relationships with other people. So performance addicts, number one, have to uncover how they came to learn this, they came to learn this idea about obtaining respect in the first place. And then what is the truth about how you gain it in life? And the truth is having high interpersonal skills, having a high empathic range, and then people take to you. People want to be with people who know how to listen and respond respectfully and tactfully in interactions. Now, if someone were to go back and look at some of their past, some of their history with their family relationships, how would they go and uncover this belief system or find out what belief system they've, they've started with and likely carried into adulthood? Performance addicts usually grow up in homes, and I think it's quite common in our society. You know, I have a quiz in the book, the performance addiction quiz, and most people score in the moderate to severe range who have taken it. And I think because most people are gro- most kids are growing up now spending far less time with their parents and they're, they're in numerous activities. I was interviewing a doctor this morning doing a consultation with her and she has her son in this advanced tennis camp. He's taking, uh, he's studying piano with uh, a known pianist in the Boston area. He's also in an elite soccer camp and the young child is only nine years old and he is, in these programs five days a week and all day Saturday in the morning with soccer and in the afternoon with tennis. That mother and father are so pressured with their kids trying to, you know, they really want them to achieve on such a high level that I'm sure these kids have come to believe that they're not loved for who they are. They're loved exclusively for what they can do and the kind of image that they can give their parents. You know, a lot of parents live through their children and really can be very counterproductive and it can, can and it can create performance addicts really kids that believe they can perfect their way into happiness all right so i want to tell you about the silver fern aesthetic and vein clinic now they specialize in a few areas one is skin care they'll tell you the difference between professional skin care and over-the-counter skin care this is something that they specialize in as well as offering education to their customers and clients Mineral makeup is one of their non-toxic type of products. They have no talc, perfume, dyes, alcohol, or anything else that may clog your pores. They also specialize in varicose and spider veins. I actually had the opportunity to stop in there, and they helped me better understand who's more likely to get them, how to treat them, and even how to prevent them. And then they also offer detoxing products and services such as their universal contour wrap. They offer a clay solution. This gets rid of toxins, increases your energy levels, and much more. If you want more details, visit their Facebook page at Silver Fern Aesthetic and Vein Clinic. They're also offering free consultations 
from Dr. Jackson and their other skincare professionals. You can find them in Didsbury across from the train station, or you can give them a call at 403-335-8829. And do you see performance addiction from those that may not be in athletics or extracurricular? Or is that more oh, oh yes, I see a lot of people in the corporate world who are performance addicts, and and because of that, they're highly stressed. As you know, when we're highly stressed, and because performance addicts are always comparing and contrasting themselves to other people on on an hourly basis, and they do the same with people they're married to or close to, and because of that, they're 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 stressed on a daily hourly level. And they produce the stress hormone cortisol, and cortisol really limits our ability to think creatively. I mean, it causes negative thinking, it causes anxiety, weight gain, inflammation, hair loss, it breaks down muscle tissue, and it really, and it also causes memory loss. And it can, if you're experiencing stress on a consistent level, produce depression. So it's a very uh, negative hormone that we can produce if we're stressed on a daily level and performance addicts, I mean, they have trouble calming themselves. They have, they, I always say that they, they don't tend to have a dimmer switch. They don't know how to turn the dial down. So they have trouble sleeping. They're worried about tomorrow's performance consistently. And because of that, they're producing these stress hormones on an ongoing basis and it really limits their creativity and ability. And obviously affects their competency as well. So if someone were were to develop performance addiction at a younger age, and let's say they're an adult now, and they look back and they uncover this belief system that they need to always be performing or achieving, is that how they would progress and better able to handle stress at a later age? I think people who are very driven, and certainly performance addicts are very driven, but in our society, people are very driven in, in general right now. I mean, 75% of visits to primary care physicians last year were due to stress. 50% of adults said that they wake up during the night due to stress. 75% of adults say that they experience stress on a daily level, either physically or emotionally. So even if you're not a performance addict, the population itself is suffering from stress. And, and not knowing what to do, really not understanding what's causing it and why they're so driven to try to make things better with, without realizing that the way to make things better is being able to slow down. And empathy is the one capacity that we're born with. It teaches us to slow down and understand ourselves and other people more truthfully and realistically. It teaches us to see beyond the surface of people and interactions. And when we don't slow down, when we're moving very fast, we miss many cues. We don't know how to listen. We don't interact very well. That's why I have a chapter in the book on empathic listening. Because people who listen, we're listening and we're in empathic interchanges with other people. We produce the hormone oxytocin, which is the connecting hormone, you know, the love hormone. It, it actually contributes to us living longer reduces cortisone levels, it reduces the tendency to have addictions, and it increases empathy and generosity. So oxytocin is the opposite of cortisol, and it's produced when we're calmer, when we're listening and entering into the world of another. So there's where empathy allows us to slow down. Empathy is very focused on facts, understanding the truth, and it it doesn't happen if we move in quickly. That's why I, differ- I differentiate in the book empathy from sympathy. You know, sympathy rushes in very quickly to console, 
where empathy takes its time to understand the facts of a situation and doesn't conclude anything until we actually know what the objective truth is. How can we practice empathy on a regular basis? The first thing I always try to teach people is, is you have to slow down. One of my patients uh, said that his wife often tells him that he's reloading while he's listening to her. And what we want to try to remember is when you're listening to someone else, rather than practicing or anticipating what you're going to say in return, sometimes when you're talking to people and you can see that their mouth is open, they, they can't wait to jump in and respond, well, they're not really listening. When you learn how to turn the dial down and when you learn how to listen with empathy, you produce this calming chemical within your body and in your brain that allows you to feel better, to, to reduce inflammation, to think more creatively and to think more intelligently. And you're also protecting your brain and the memory center of the brain. So the first step is slowing down, knowing how to slow down knowing how to listen, knowing how to enter the world of other people without being so preoccupied or self-absorbed with yourself. When you do that, it's a mental vacation from yourself. People often ask me, how can I listen to people all day and, and not get exhausted? Well, when I'm listening to other people, I'm in their story. I'm in their movie. I'm, I'm not preoccupied with myself. So it's a relief for myself or whatever is going on in my life because I've entered their life. It's like when you watch a great movie that really engrosses your attention, you're not preoccupied with yourself. You, you, are, you are really in it. When you're in, in it, you're in the present. And when you're in the present, your brain and, and your physiology is relaxed and you are allowing yourself to g gain, in a, gain greater health and more balance in your life. seems to me like we as a society... Or seem to be more focused on ourselves. And before I would, I did a show about this recently. Before we would take pictures of our friends and family and the events we did. Now you go to any individual social media page and, and the pictures is of them. We have this term yeah, called yeah. selfies and is now it's our normal. And when we, when I talk about listening, it seems like it's so difficult to find a good listener because everyone wants to talk. Everyone wants their story to be heard. How can we practice listening and be more absorbed, not so much with ourselves, but paying attention to others instead of us? Well, I think giving is another way to reduce stress. When you, when you finally understand the ways to reduce stress and to feel more comfortable in your own skin, you start to practice this way. You start to ask yourself, am I truly listening? Am I talking more than listening? Who's talking more, me or the other person? I wrote, I write quotes on my Facebook page today and I, and I wrote one today saying, too many eyes and not enough use destroys relationships. So it's, it, when it's I, 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 you're, you're thinking that you're going to gain something by, by talking about yourself, but really most of the time you're boring other people. Because when it's not an interchange, when it's a monologue, people might be, might be sitting there and you may think they're listening, but they, they're only doing it out of trying not to hurt your feelings or maybe you're my boss and you're lecturing me for an hour and the only reason I'm sitting there is because of the role we're in. I mean, I have to sit there. But it's not an interchange, and most importantly, as we were discussing before, it's not producing calming neurochemicals. When we're in an empathic interchange with each other, we produce those calming chemicals, which really allow us to live longer and live healthier. So it's really knowing that authenticity, being authentic, being empathic, being more giving than taking, a number of research studies show that people who are giving are 10 times healthier than people who are takers.
All right, so I just want to take a moment to tell you about the tire shop here in Olds. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not really a car person. I wouldn't be the first to fix, well, anything. <laughs> so that's why I trust some a company like the tire shop. When I bring my car in there, I always know that it's going to get quality service. I really love the customer service. It's, it's bar none. They treat you like family. And this is a family-run business for 40 years. So they're definitely doing something right. And they're not just a tire company. So they do oil, brakes, tune-ups, your battery, wheel alignment. They do all kinds of different things to service your car. And now that winter's on the way, it's definitely a good time to get your car checked out, have someone that you trust and, and believe in, and to support the community as well as a local tire shop. You can reach them at 403 403- Five five six seven six six zero, or if you want to stop in, they're at five nine zero three Imperial Way, right behind Napa. Actually, brain changes that we see from research that are more positive are when we're actually giving than when we're when we're receiving. So it's learning about these ways of being able to be in a relationship where we gain something emotionally and physically. Let's talk a bit about. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Let's start off with a definition. Tell me what this is specifically. Well, cognitive behavioral therapy focuses on the present. It focuses on the way we perceive that is distorted. For instance, you might have a cognitive distortion of generalizing all the time or using black and white thinking or catastrophizing or minimizing or mind reading. These are all ways of distorting the way we perceive and see other people and they're usually learned early in life. The reason I combine empathy with cognitive behavioral therapy is empathy is very, is very related to how we perceive. And if you, if you know how to be empathic, you tend to perceive more accurately. And cognitive behavioral therapy helps us identify which distortions do we use when we're perceiving because they produce more stress. For instance, if I say, you know, all, gee, all, all women are this way or all men are that way or all Italians or all Irish people or all African Americans, those are generalizations. Black and white thinking is another distortion that people often use, which means that we don't see the gray. We don't see much in the middle. And we conclude very quickly through black and white thinking. Mind reading is another. One of my clients is a teacher, and his principal walked by his class, and the principal was frowning. And I said, and he said to me, I, I just think he doesn't like me. Come to find out, the principal, they actually, uh, he saw him in the day the next morning, and the principal had mentioned that he had a migraine the day before. So he was frowning because he had a migraine, not because he was upset with my client. See, that was an example of using mind reading. And that's a cognitive distortion. So when we're distorting reality or distorting perceptions in terms of how we understand other people, we're producing stress. We produce stress, we produce the stress hormone cortisol, and then we go down that very negative path. Let me ask you this. If you say mind reading, would that be the same as the story you're telling yourself? Mind reading is usually to do with other people that I'm assuming I know what you're thinking. Like, for instance, when people are stressed, when you're stressed, your empathic range becomes very narrow. So you become very narrow in thinking. We know from research that when we're stressed, we have far less empathy. So I might be assuming through my stress and my high anxiety how you feel about me or what you're thinking, but I don't really know unless I ask you. So that's what mind reading is. Is it without me actually finding out I'm assuming, I'm already reacting as if I know what you're thinking. 
And would you say that's that's normal for the average person to kind of guess or say or tell themselves that that story or mind read their coworker, their boss, or whoever that may be? I think that it's become very common in our society because we don't slow down enough to really listen to find out what is this other person saying, what are they communicating. If we don't do that, we again we're guessing. So that's something that we can do instead of mind read or assume what someone may be thinking or feeling towards us. We try to slow ourselves down and pay attention to the situation, what's really going on. Exactly. Because when we slow down and we use empathy, and again, empathy is focused on the facts. It teaches us to not assume, not jump to conclusions. And stress and perception are intimately related. So empathy allows us to perceive accurately the more accurately we perceive, the less stress we have. When we use cognitive distortions, we're falling back on old bias thinking based on early conditioning. We're distorting reality and causing unnecessary tension. So many of us are, are formed by those thoughts and situations that happened when, when we were younger, usually when we were children. Now, we talked about how empathy, we need to uncover that belief system. Is that the same as cognitive behavioral therapy? It's a little different, and that's why I call this empathic cognitive behavioral therapy, because cognitive behavioral therapy does not focus at all on the past. It only focuses on the present way that people distort. And I combine empathy in this approach because I don't believe just focusing on the present is enough to rid oneself of old biased thinking, because of a, lot of, a lot of the ways we're conditioned to think and behave are emotional conditioning. You know, an emotional conditioning is recorded in the deepest part of the brain. It's not rational. It's like telling a depressed person that they should think positive. Well, of course they know they should think positive, but they can't just turn it around. They have to understand first through empathy. They have to understand how did they come to think negatively in the first place. And then they can work on the way they distort reality and distort their perceptions of others and how others might feel about them. But cognitive behavioral therapy alone has not been found as effective in the long term as combining it with empathy. Because when you combine it with empathy, you're uncovering the ways we learned incorrectly to perceive. And now we can focus on those perceptions and change them. But you can't change the, the old habits you have just by me telling you that you're thinking irrationally. I can tell you you're generalizing, but if that's the way you believe, if you believe that's the truth, it's going to be very hard for you to change your mind, unless I can point out or help you or, help, or you help yourself discover where did, where did this kind of thinking come from? So if we could better understand where the, I suppose, the root of the issue, where this thinking came from, then we could better address why we're thinking that way now? Yes, we have to go back in time. And, you know, and I'm not a fan of belaboring the past, but I'm only a fan of talking about the past if it interferes with the present. And when it interferes with the present, you have to find out where the origin of it is. Once you find out where the origin of it, you can unlearn it. And anything that's learned can be unlearned, in my opinion. But if you have no idea where the root of that way of thinking is, you can believe that it's gospel. It's like, it's like growing up in one religion and believing everything about that religion. And then when you're an adult, you re-examine it and you realize that, oh, some of these things, some of the particular tenets of any given religion may not be true or may not be true for you now. I had a, a great example as I was working with a professor at Boston College who's a priest, 
and a few years ago, and we were talking about these concepts, and he said, ah, I really understand what emotional conditioning is now. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, I teach my students that Roman Catholics were taught not to eat meat on Fridays. And then we realized at one time that was not really a command from God. It was the Pope at the time, you know, the meat was not healthy. It was infected at the time. So so there was this edict that to not eat meat on Fridays and, and essentially associating it with coming from God. He said, well, years later, I realized that, you know, that's inaccurate. God has never said don't eat meat on Fridays. That was that that happened because the meat was bad and the Pope and the leaders uh, of the country were trying to get people to be healthier and not get sick. He said, but you know what? I said, what? He goes, even though I teach my students this, I can't eat meat on Friday. And he said, because I, I still feel uncomfortable. And that's where that emotional conditioning comes from. So, you know, in order to, in order to unravel that conditioning, he would have had, and I'm not encouraging anybody to eat meat. I'm not a meat eater, but, um, he would have had to experiment with that, you know, slowly but surely realizing that that's mythical thinking. But that emotional conditioning dies very slowly, and we have to appreciate that, and that's where empathy comes in. That's why I combine it with cognitive behavioral therapy, because cognitive behavioral therapy exclusively focuses on the present. So if if we're, if we're working on ourselves and we're looking to make some changes in our lives, and, and we're able to find, look back and, and find maybe a, a particular issue like your, like your meat example here. W- what can we do now that we've addressed it? Now that we know that where the issue has come from or what the story in, initiated from, what can we now do by rationalizing the situation? Is that where empathy comes in? We, we slow down and, and really dissect the issue and, and understand that we can move on from whatever's holding us back? Yes. I, 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 I think we have to s- slow down and and learn what our old records are. You know, w- what I try to teach and tell people is that a lot of making your life more balanced and stress-free doesn't have to do with correcting what's wrong with you. It has more to do with uncovering what's been right with you all along. And when we uncover some of this distorted thinking, some of the ways we came to think and be- and believe that really is mythical and not accurate from the people that were around us and maybe the things that we learned early on in life that that we were told. Maybe we were told that we weren't very intelligent and you're not very attractive. And then you realize that that really, that really is fictitious. That's not accurate. How do you realize that? Well, knowing that, you know, most of us grow up with biases. It's like we, we look into the mirrors of in our early life, our parents, our teachers, our coaches, and whatever they tell us, we soak it in like a sponge. So, but you know, oftentimes we're, it's like looking into a circus mirror. If, if you're looking into people's eyes who are representing you and telling you what you're about, but they're, but they have distortions of their own, you don't get an accurate picture of yourself. So maybe you grew up with a father or mother who said you weren't very bright or you weren't very talented, or maybe a coach or a teacher told you that. That can be very person. So understanding that, that we all grow up with a story that probably is basically, to some extent, fictitious. And we have to rewrite that story. We have to make the, the, the fiction story a nonfiction story. And we all have to do that. That's our job as adults. And when you're with other people, people that are close to you that have the same agenda, they also want to do that and accept that that's part of our reality and our obligation as adults. It's easier to do it with people who are doing it also. 
I mean, that's why, for instance, in my in my group training sessions, it works so well because people are sitting around a room and they're, they're all trying to give each other realistic feedback about how they see each other today, not not how people were came to believe about themselves years ago. I love that example you, you, you mentioned about a coach or a parent. You know, I, every once in a while, you know, I was, work, let's say, for example, I was working with someone the other day. And they said, I have a weak, I have a weak, a weak grip. I'm not able to hang, hold myself up. And I said to me, they were holding themselves up for quite an extended period of time. So I said, who told you that? You know, where did yeah. you get that story that your hands were weak? And then, of course, she yeah. says, well, I had a coach so many years ago that told me my hands were weak. And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That see, that learning, Drew, came from a, a, an important person in that person's life years ago. So that person is stuck with that until somebody new, you, you, a new figure in that person's life, who I'm sure they respect says, you know, that's, ac- that's actually not an accurate assessment of yourself. See, in that case, you used your empathy to give that person feedback. And that's what we need. Feedback from rational people who tell us the truth tactfully. And we have to rewrite our story so that we are less stressed. Because if you go through life thinking that, I mean, people walk around thinking they're unattractive or they're unintelligent or they can't go in a gym because people will be looking at them. And you look at them and say, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. Why, why would somebody look at you and, and, and have a negative judgment? I mean, it's because they, they grew up that way. And then they go through life. Many people go through life thinking that that is what the world thinks of them, and it's not true. And that's where I talk about rewriting your story. Everyone has to rewrite their story. No one grew up with a completely accurate story about themselves. So our job as adults is to make that fiction story a non-fiction story. We have to edit the book essentially. But the example you're giving is an excellent one because that's what you did. You did what we're talking about. You, through your empathy, meaning that you are understanding that person's ability accurately, not based on their past conditioning, you were giving that person current, present feedback. You're not as weak as you think you are. That's inaccurate. It's not true. Now, someone that wouldn't have, in that situation, like I was there with her, I could tell her that someone that may not may not have that situation or, or that whatever you may call the coach or mentor how would someone get past that story? Is that something we have to do ourselves to rewrite our story? No, we're, we're all too subjective to rewrite our story, Drew, you know, quite frankly. We, we need other people. We need to be surrounded by other people where we're giving feedback and we're receiving feedback. And, you know, when you have really close friendships, when you, when you have authentic friendships, and, and I, you know, as you know, I wrote a chapter in the book about authenticity because when you're when you're trying to please others, that it's 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 very stressful because you're afraid to be yourself because you think you're not good enough. But when you open up and are vulnerable with other people, you start to uncover the better parts of yourself, and they do the same for themselves. And how does it happen? We give each other feedback. Transformation takes place between people. It does not happen alone. We're all too subjective, and we fall back on our old way of thinking. And when we are alone, I mean, in terms of that, how can we help ourselves? When we know the old record well enough, we know all 20 songs on the record that we learned early in life. As soon as you hear the needle playing, you got to pick it up and say, you know what? I'm not going to play the whole album. I've done this before. I've called myself these names before. That's why I have a chapter on the book in the book on self-talk, 
because self-talk can be extremely stressful. If you're calling yourself names all day, you go into the world already stressed and your day hasn't even begun. But in terms of your question, change takes place in relationships. It does not happen alone. Now, that brings up a fantastic point. I, I enjoy talking about environment and surrounding yourself with encouraging, supportive people. How, do, how would you suggest one would go about finding a group, finding people that could support you that would can, can help change your story and, and maybe edit the book in a, I suppose, proper, healthy manner? Well, I mean, that's a... That's not an easy question to answer because, you know, people are in different situations in life, but it, you've got to pick a couple of three, whether it's colleagues at work or whether it's people in your family or old friends, you've got to reach out. And the, one of the reasons I, I wrote a chapter on giving and goodness in the book is when you start to give pe to people, like people who volunteer uh, tend to have a much better concept of themselves. When you start to give to other people, hold the door open for someone, give someone a compliment at work or someone in your family, not not superficially, but when it's real, when it's authentic. When you start to give to other people, you attract other people. And human beings cannot resist empathic listening. I mean, over over 35 years of practice, I've had so many people come to me and who people have told me wouldn't talk. When people are listening to, they, they talk. And when they talk, you, you make a connection. And when you make a connection, you change your neurochemistry. You produce that, that hormone oxytocin, and you feel secure and safe with people. So I would say one of the ways is be as giving as you can. Be as giving as you can on a daily basis. We all encounter other people. And sooner or later, you start to make friendships. And maybe you need to do that even with the people in your life right now. You know, when, when we start to acknowledge and are grateful for what people bring up to us, instead of criticizing them and judging them, we tend to get the same in return, and we draw people closer to us. Yeah, friendships and relationships is something that I wanted to talk about in this interview. It's, it sounds like we've covered it in, in, you know, in different angles, but I still want to bring it up. It seems like... We lack, well, we, we lack relationships are, you know, with our spouse or significant other. The divorce rate is, is through the roof and I'd imagine it's only climbing. And then we have personal relationships, whether it's a, a friendship, whether it's someone to go work out with, whether it's someone to have a healthy meal with, you know, is there something that we can do to work towards building healthier relationships as a whole? Well, I, I, I would come back to the point about giving and reaching out, you know, don't wait to be discovered. But you, your point is well taken because, you know, the trust rates in America right now are, are down. We, we are a more uh, prejudiced society. And so trust is down. Empathy is down. Prejudice is up. And Americans have fewer friends today than we had 20 years ago. 20 years ago, Americans said they had six or seven friends. Today, we say we have two to three close friends. And some have less than that. So, we have we have lost our way in that regard. We don't we don't value and this is where performance addiction comes in. We don't value character, integrity and relationships as much as we've come to value image and status. You know, we basically have become a society where we're materially rich and spiritually poor. So when you realize that integrity and character are are really the 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 parts that make a friendship not not status and, and talking about how important you are and making lots of I statements and being self-absorbed and, and just looking for an audience. When you're giving, you will you will attract other people who want to be with you. And what happens, you attract other giving people. 
And again, it's assessing how much do I talk, how much do I listen? Is it equal? Is it a give and take? And if it isn't a give and take, try your best to make it a give and take. But don't don't d- deliver monologues to your friends and expect them to call you next week because most likely they won't. People are attracted to people who listen to them and who are generally caring. And authenticity attracts people. When when you're with someone who will tell you the truth as a good friend and, you know, if if you're drinking too much and you're not sleeping enough and they, and they tactfully are the one to say, hey, look, Drew, you know, you, you look terrible. Are you sleeping? Or, you know, I noticed last night you had six beers at that occasion. What's going on? When you have a friend like that, if you're an open person, that's the person you take to because that's the person who sticks out their neck a little bit and, and uses their empathy to, to be, to care about someone else. And, you know, when we care, we're not always saying complimentary things. Sometimes we're saying, Hey, I'm worried about you, but it, it, it's the kind of things that a lot of people don't say anymore. We, we kind of live in our own worlds. We stick, we stick to the few people that we interact with on a daily basis. We go to work. We're too tired to socialize much on the weekend and we don't foster relationships. And when our children see that, they grow up in the same way. They're gonna, that, those are the, that's the model we present to them. Then they think life is all about achieving, gaining status, gaining more money, and, and not being with other people. Yeah, it brings up such a, such a great point. I mean, we don't even know our neighbors anymore. I was just talking about that the other day to go knock on the door for a cup of sugar or whatever it may be. Like we used to, we, we don't do that anymore. We don't talk to people in the line at the grocery store. We flip through our newsfeed and see what, see what's going on there. So I think that, that self-absorption you're talking about and paying attention to other people, maybe through that empathy, empath, excuse me, empathy will really make a difference in our lives. Empathy unquestionably is is the most important ability that we have to have a successful personal and professional life you know think of the professional world we're in t- we're in an international climate now i have clients from all over the world and and people you know my corporate clients travel to china to india to europe we have to interact with people of all different cultures different religions without empathy you can't make connections with other people and when you have empathy you come to realize that we're all more alike than we are different. But on the surface, we may seem different because we don't, we don't look beyond the surface. And as you're saying, we don't take the time to make the connection to go beyond the surface. But when we do, we find the commonality. We find the common ground. And when you find the common ground, you feel better. You release hormones that make you feel safe and secure. When we feel safe and secure, we're not stressed, we're not anxious, and we're much more likely to be vulnerable and open with other people. And that's what makes connections. You know, we make, we make deeper connections through sharing our truths, our suffering, than we do just going to a party and chatting on a superficial level. Well, Dr. Sir McCauley, I'm going to slow things down here on the show and i'd like you to take just a few minutes here in this last segment to talk about your book and website and more where we can find out more information as to what you're doing well my website drew is balanceyoursuccess.com the book is called the stress solution as you said using empathy cognitive behavioral therapy to reduce anxiety and develop resilience and uh, i'd encourage people to buy the book and i would be very grateful if you did um, and to read it slowly because every chapter has exercises and I ask you to keep a journal and to use it as a workbook. It's a book to do work. 
It's not a book to read quickly. You know, read a chapter a week and do the exercises and share it with friends. I, I, I encourage you to do that in the book because if you do this, I believe the information in this book can allow you, allow people to feel more comfortable in their own skin and to balance their lives. And, you know, when, when you do that, you're a model for other people and you kind of spread that level of health. There's a chapter on self-care in the book as well, talking about nutrition and exercise and some of the latest exercise studies that indicate that, you know, interval training, and I'm sure all the things you know about, can help us balance our neurochemistry. But this combination of empathy, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's work. And I would encourage you to, to buy the book and, and use it as a workbook and go through it slowly and thoughtfully. And I think, and I hope it will make a difference in your life. Yeah, I don't see how it couldn't, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I do skim through them before our, before our interviews, but when they're, when they're special type of books and interviews that I really enjoy, I'm, I'm, I like to go back and have a look more thoroughly. And that's definitely something I, I'm going to do. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for writing the book and thank you for being here with us today on Exploring Mind and Body. Well, thank you very much, Drew. It was my pleasure. Thanks very much. Just a quick word about the new organic spa and salon in Penhold, which is 10 minutes south of Red Deer. They strive for the best organic, environmentally friendly, and health-conscious alternatives. They specialize in organic color and spa treatments, therapeutic massage, as well as holistic alternatives like cranial sacral therapy. They also recycle 85 to 95% of the waste through a company called Green Circle Salons. Hair is used for oil spill cleanups, making mats, and all the metal is used to make asphalt, just to name a few. They sell a wide range of organic hair and beauty lines like Eminence Organics, Kevin Murphy, Intelligent Nutrients, and Jane Iredell Makeup. Check them out at organicoasisspa.ca. That's organicoasisspa.ca. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Dr. Sarah McCauley for coming on and sharing such an important topic with us and so much value in this information, in this interview. So much appreciate that. Now, I do want to mention some of our longtime sponsors that make this show possible. We have Shoppers Drug Mart here in Olds. They're very community orientated. They've been with us from the very beginning. So if you get a chance, stop in and support them as well. We have AG Foods in Didsbury. They're bringing better quality foods to not only the grocery industry, but our community as well. So again, check out AG Foods for a number of organic products and health food products as well. I'm going to mention GDK Gravel and Sand here at the end. They also have resi- residential products like garden mix and mulch for your home. Not just they're not just for industrial purposes. But then we have Health Street as well. Health Street, you can visit them at healthstreet.ca if you're looking online. They have some of the highest health standards in Canada for their products. If you're looking at more details as what as to what we have to offer, you can head over to trueformlife.com. We have a monthly membership that's going fantastic. We just started a partner step challenge <laughs> so much fun we actually had the partners pick a team name so everyone picked a, a funnier goofy name one of them was the aggressive snails or the daisy ladies we have the blister sisters <laughs> 
so it's tons of fun. We're actually we this is the first time we've paired up and we're gonna do a little step competition. So that's super fun. That's just something that we do. We also plan we do also do meal plans. We put together fitness routines for you and then everyone's in that private and supportive group so we can do little challenges like this. Again, that's at trueformlife.com. All all these past shows here are going up on exploringmindandbody.com. Once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com. Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia would not be possible without the help of GDK Gravel and Sand. GDK Gravel and Sand, now offering all products in half and one yard bags. Give them a call today for more information. 1-877-335-2091.